Primary care knowledge boost, red flags for gynecological cancers. Um, hello and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Lovely to have you all with us today again. Um, we are speaking to Dr. Uma Marthy, who, um, if you've listened to some of our episodes before, you should recognise her because she is a returning visitor. Um, she was a gynaecologist for a long time, um, then became a GP um, and now is a gypsy um, and works um, doing a lot of women's health. Yeah, she um, she gives a presentation about gynecological red flags that um, she'll explain why she came upon. Um, we've limited it. It's a it's very much a whistle stop tour. So it's her. Tr- we're trying to glean her experiences from her long history of practicing. So bear in mind, it's not deep dives into each cancer. Um, and also, we've we're going to record a separate episode all about ovarian cancer and the varying presentations that can give to try and give that a bit more. Uh, volume and time as well yeah exactly um so we we've done a bit of a case-based um approach to this episode to give some context um for what we're talking about we go through um a, a younger female who's having um intermenstrual bleeding and postcoital bleeding to talk a bit about cervical cancer and then we talk um about an older lady um who has some postmenopausal bleeding um to put a little bit of focus on vaginal presentations and vulval presentations um and then our final case is um, a middle-aged lady um who's having and some changes to her bleeding in general and that puts the focus on endometrial cancer Um, and we talk about the um, history investigations examination and red flags for all of those cancers yeah we hope you find the episode as interesting as we did um, thank you so much for joining us again. We're delighted you come back to talk to us. Um, can you introduce yourself and explain your current role to listeners? Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. I always feel um, you know nice when I was given the opportunity to share my experience. Uh, basically, I was a gynecologist for about uh, 12, 14 years. Then I became a GP. Now I'm a GP with special interest in women's health and I offer services to women in Haywood, Middleton, Rochdale and uh, actually basically cover 42 practices. The reason I like to actually do podcasts or do any guest lectures is uh, sharing my experience over the years, almost like about uh, 35 years of experience I have in women's health, 35 to 40, I have to say. Uh, I'm getting to 60 soon. So 35 years uh, <laughs> of the experience. Uh, uh, just uh, my passion, sharing my passion. Yeah, uh, we're thrilled to be able to speak to you again. Um, and thank you so much. It was lovely to read your talk that you give um, sort of on webinars and things about gynecological red flags. What was it that made you make the presentation and sort of pick the topic as red flags on its own? Uh, you know, normally I do uh, teaching for um, trainees and uh, most of the time I do heavy periods or uh, endometriosis and all. Uh, this time they asked me if I could do something. They, they had actually a whole day they had on cancer. Right. And they because the, the whole day, like a teaching day, they have different types of cancers. So for gynecological cancer, they asked me to do. So then I thought I should do something very practical, which is useful for GP trainees. Mm-hmm. And the amount of the feedback I got was quite good they said he found they found it very interesting and they found that they had the practical tips on that that's great to hear so we thought we'd take a bit of a case-based approach 
um, to this one just to try and contextualize it. Um, so we'll, we'll fire ahead with case one. Um, so they're all hypothetical. Um, but this is a 36 year old, um, called Emily. Um, she's been on the progesterone only pill for about 18 years. Um, she has an irregular cycle, um, about one bleed every 68 weeks and occasionally has some postcoital bleeding and some intermenstrual bleeding. And her periods can be quite heavy and prolonged. So where would you go from there, Uma, if she comes in and just tells you that basic information? Well, we, we ask because any change in the menstrual pattern, uh, when the pattern has changed, when it is irregular bleeding, most of the time what happens is when they're on some type of pill, especially the POP, you know, mini pill progesterone, people think, oh, yeah, it's common to have the irregular bleeding. But that continues for too long. Uh, that will be quite um, worrying for the women. She may not think about what's going on. She'll be, it's, it's like you, a prolonged ble- bleeding will be exhausting. The main history is very, very important. So we need to find out someone having regular periods or no periods on the POP. And suddenly the pattern changes. Uh, we, I, I would take more history. So I usually ask her the basic questions, you know, like uh, why she was actually concerned about her symptoms and what she was expecting from me. I'd also ask her about her uh, sexual history, whether, uh, you know, like um, whether she has any any change of partners or what, uh, what about her smear history, which is very, very important because uh, um, Emily is 36. So we naturally, we expect her to have some cervical smears. So that history is very, very important. And also I'll find out what hormone uh, medication is she on it. Like, as I said, anyway, she's on the pill she's on, uh, but is there anything else she takes or any other tablet she takes, which interfere with the medication or something. It's less likely uh, there are medications to, which interfere with mini pill, but still uh, find out the history more in detail yeah and the just thinking broadly about um the intermenstrual bleeding and the postcoital bleeding what would be the top header differentials for those okay um young people for example intermenstrual postcoital we have to always start with simple things Uh, for example um cervical ectropion we all know where the cervix sometimes because of the estrogenic effect of the young lady because of the they may not be on a pill, but just the estrogen will be a high levels at that age group. Uh, the glandular epithelium can come out and it can cover the outside the cervix that is an ectropion. That is one differential diagnosis. Another important differential diagnosis, if she had any abnormal smears in the past, whether she had any treatment on that, sometimes they can have some granulation to show something that can also can cause uh, bleeding. And uh, another common thing is cervical polyp. Cervical polyps are benign things, which when we do a speculum examination, this is often picked up by the practice nurses when they do the smear. So when they do a smear, they see a polyp, they do still do the smear and they say, oh yeah, you have a polyp, we have to go back and see your uh, GP and get a referral. And I usually get such type of referrals. And uh, that can be incidental, you know, they may not even have bleeding, but uh, polyps are very well known to cause postcoital bleeding. Another important thing is chlamydial infection. I know chlamydia is one thing, postcoital bleeding, intermenstrual bleeding. So that should be always in the back of our mind. That's where we ask more sexual history. And we do a, uh, generally as a routine, we should do a chlamydial swab. And the other and the most important thing is cancer. So we cannot say that um, that age group cancer doesn't happen. It can happen anytime, especially if the women never had a smear or anything. Um, so when we speak to Emily about her smear history and we're looking on the computer, um, the last smear we can see is 11 years ago. Um, when we ask her about it, she said she had a really bad experience um, that put her off from 
going back and ever having any more smears. Um, the smear that did happen, she did have some HPV changes, um, but she never went for um, colposcopy. Um, so when we examine her, she has a mass um, on her cervix. And uh, so we send her as a two-week wait. Um, and that's where they take a sample and confirm that actually she has stage two squamous cell carcinoma of the cervix. Um, so it was kind of a bit of a whistle-stop tour to Emily, um, reaching that kind of conclusion so quickly. Um, but it's a case that I think some of us can relate to. Um, any advice about how to improve um, prevention and pickup rates of cervical cancer or improve um, people's experiences after smear, a bad smear? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this Emily is a, is a very sad case, but if you, uh, over the last uh, my experience in general practice, I have picked up three women like that. They never had a smear and suddenly the bleeding was so heavy, uh, they could not carry on. In this situation, uh, we have to take time. You know, even though your patients are waiting or something, we should not miss that opportunity mm. to talk. You know, we should not say, oh, I have only 10 minutes. Uh, can you go and make another appointment? So that actually puts them off to come again, again. So the, uh, the the basic thing and the most important point is, whatever it is, please take the time. I advise that to take the time why they didn't have the smear, what actually happened. Uh, sometimes it can be a, the sexual abuse at the early age or the first way that the, that's where the first smear when a woman has should be a very, should be a very comfortable experience. So whatever, usually I tell uh, the trainee doctors as well, you have to use the right speculum. So make it comfortable, you know, like I usually what I say in such a case, like Emily, I'd say I'll be very gentle and I'll show her all the types of specular we have. And I'll explain to her how we use a lot of lubricant we use and make sure if at any point, if she's not comfortable, we'll stop. So a lot of reassurance is very, very important. And also stressing the importance, how important is the smear test? Okay, so uh, we are basically we say, oh, the, the first thing the patient asks, oh, send me for a scan. Okay, uh, because it's an easy one, uh, you know, she can have an abdominal scan. Uh, because, the, but we have to explain that what we want to see is the neck of the womb. The only way we can see the neck of the womb is by doing a speculum examination. Believe me or not, when we take time, we explain to them and listen to them what horrible experience they had in the past. Many of them will change. And when even when you do the examination, never mind. Even if you waste two specula, never mind. We have to make sure we have to use a very small speculum, like even a virgin speculum, then go for a small speculum. Then gently increase the size of the speculum and gently observe. Then, if, of course, when you see a mass, you have no choice. You have to send them immediately. It's a very, it's really a breaking bad news, but uh, a lot of reassurance is needed. Yeah. It's it's a really difficult situation when yeah like you say when it's a rushed consultation and you see that pop up come up for you know for patients other than uh, Emily where they're just missing a few cervical smears and it's that that time where you can try and have a bit of intervention um and and try and talk through why they're not going for smears and and try and help so that's really useful yeah what 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 actually you know if Emily case is different because she has presenting with abnormal 
if I if I come see and I see a pop up, I usually ask them, "You are due for a smear. Why are you not doing?" And then it's and that time also I show them all the speculum. Wonderful. We why don't you make an appointment? I'll give you a long appointment. I'll give you twenty minutes appointment and make you comfortable. And after that, I usually make a note of that patient. You know whether she made an appointment or not. Mm-hmm. I usually do that. Okay, or ask the girls to chase it up. So that is for women when the alert comes as a pop up. Okay, mm-hmm. someone like Emily, uh, we can't waste any time. We have to do it then and there. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a point on smears. Am I right in saying that they don't do complete cytology anymore? They just check initially for HPV, and if that's yes, positive, yes. that's when they do cytology. Yes. Yes. Uh, are we missing any? Are we missing any types of cervical cancers that aren't HPV related? Are they a considerable amount or? Mm, it's about uh, the about uh, ten to twelve percent. They say sometimes even uh, some of the articles say about twenty percent. But uh, but what uh, what is important is we have to if you know the, if you look at the national uh, cervical screen, screening when they do the HPV the HPV is positive uh, then they do the cells and if they don't find the cells uh, it's negative they usually ask them to come for a repeat after one year. And uh, if it's positive again, then they, they follow the same path, okay, for three years. Mm-hmm. So after three years, if the women is still getting HPV positive, but uh, the cytology is not showing anything, they automatically do colposcopy. Okay, this is for women who are uh, asymptomatic, okay? But one thing we have to remember is smear is, a, is a, like a screening test, isn't it? But uh, we have to go with the history. Okay, if if we are not comfortable, if a woman uh, saying like, okay, I still have the bleeding, I still have the bleeding. Okay, that's history is important because there are cancers like uh, um, is the common cancer which is caused by HPV virus sixteen and eighteen is the squamous cell carcinoma. But there are other cancers in the cervix like adenocarcinoma or small cell carcinomas. Even like you know, you can have like uh, different types of cancers can be there. But what we have to think about it is uh, is the symptom. So we're not happy. We just send them to colposcopy clinic. And, the, and especially if she has a postcoital bleeding or she has a contact bleeding when you are examining. And you have to ask for other symptoms. Do you have pain with intercodes? Uh, what are your other symptoms? Irregular bleeding, intermensal bleeding, postcoital bleeding, all these symptoms or urinary symptoms. Then you're not at all happy. Then we can refer her to colposcopy clinic. Okay? The, or even to a gynec. We should not waste time which is the history that is very, very important. In my own experience, I've seen a patient with a neuroendocrine tumor. She came on a Friday afternoon and with heavy bleeding. She was only 21, so she was not yet at a cervical smear, which is, this is very, very rare tumor. But uh, mm-hmm. when I examined, there was a friable growth. So what I was, I'm trying to bring uh, with uh, sharing my experience is when the woman has symptoms as uh, bleeding, we should not ask them, oh, when your bleeding stops, can you make an appointment? No. When she says the bleeding is continuous and especially the color is very important. Is it bright red or dark red? She says, no, it's not like, if you ask the history, they should say, oh, it's not like my menstrual loss. It's like more bright red and it's more contact blood. Then that case, I, I think we should do the speculum examination ASAP. So then we can, if there is any abnormality, I'm sure we will, whether it's a HPV positive or a different cancers, we will be able to get the help for them sooner. Mm-hmm. So the speculum examination plays a key role, actually. And 
thinking about Emily, if we'd done that speculum examination and there hadn't been an obvious mass there, um, but she still had the same history, um, where would you go with that? What would be the next step? Um, would you refer routine or would you still be thinking it's worrying? I will. I won't. I won't uh, wait because uh, she is a Jew for um, eleven years and she's having irregular bleeding. I I won't be very happy to leave her. I will do a two week wait as well. Okay. Okay. And then sometimes what happens is, uh, think, uh, especially if she has postcoital and intermenstrual bleeding, sometimes if they, there's a difference, you know, like uh, with the history wise, it's like a uh, like a menstrual loss, right? Uh, like a, a intermenstrual bleeding, no, no postcoital bleeding, only intermenstrual bleeding, dark loss. I will still, I will do, I ask for an urgent scan. Sometimes endometrial polyps can cause uh, bleeding. Uh, in between the periods, okay. So, but what if she's saying like a bleeding irregularly all the time, postcoital bleeding, and never had a smear, uh, you know, uh, then the, and you can't see a mass. Sometimes you can do a smear at the time of the examination, okay, and then you can do a two week uh, two week wait uh, if you're not happy with that. It depends upon, you know, it depends upon how the cervix looks. Uh, you have any doubt. Sometimes you are not sure whether it's an ectropion. A uh, patient looks like an ectropion, but she never had a smear and she has a contact bleeding. No, you don't want to wait. So sometimes, you know, we have a, I don't think they'll mind uh, seeing. So these type of patients will straight go to colposcopy clinic. They can have a really, really good view of the cervix. Thank you. And just to kind of sum up on the cervical cancer presentations um are there any other ways that cervical cancer might present that people should have in their mind yes uh it can it may not present sometimes it can present as a constant discharge you know it be like um, a smelly discharge it can be there and sometimes uh, they, they can have pelvic pain okay and uh, sometimes like some of them i even have uh, mo- most common is the um, uh, the discharge, persistent blood stain dis- discharge or a smelly discharge. Uh, so it depends upon the growth uh, sometimes. That's very important. Pelvic pain and pain with intercourse is also very important. And sometimes they can have some urinary symptoms and all that. So we have to find, we have to think like uh, how long these symptoms are going on? How much is affecting the quality of our life? You know, having occasional some symptoms and abnormal vaginal discharge, we all see such patients and we do a HVS uh, and we do treat it if it's a bacterial vaginosis. But how long is going on? So if she had, I had uh, so many smear swaps and everything comes like this uh, negative and still having a problem. So those are the cases we have to be much more careful. And those patients uh, need a close monitoring. You know, we should not ignore them. You may have to arrange another appointment to review them or at least a telephone consultation to review them. Yeah, thank you, Uma. Um, so case two, um, here we have 78-year-old Gillian. Um, she's come into the clinic to see us in general practice. She's got some postmenopausal bleeding. Um, so she's noticed light, bright red blood that stains her knickers. That's how she's noticed it. It's been two months duration. Um, it seems to be progressing, so it was once a week, and now it's most days. Um, she's a past medical history of having had a rectocele, um, and her symptoms from that have been under good control um, because she has a ring pessary um, that she's been getting changed for the last six years. Um, so can you talk us through the differentials here? Okay. Uh, postmenopausal bleeding, uh, as you see, uh, this is a very uh, tricky thing. Sometimes, you know, uh, I, see, I see people like uh, when they have postmenopausal bleeding, they immediately refer them 
oh, it's a two-week wait, two-week wait. But we should not rush and do that. We should take more history. For someone like uh, Jillian, she had a prolapse and she's using the uh, pessary. Uh, and uh, you said she had her uh, pessary changed. When was the pessary changed for her? Um, she's up to date Absolutely. with her pessary changes. So n- not for a few months. Not for a few months. Uh, because uh, in the community clinic, uh, you want, I'll do hundreds of pessary uh, 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 prolapse patients I see in the, uh, my community gynec clinic. So the history is very important. And also the color of the bleeding is very important. <laughs> I don't think I'm stressing on the color, which is not in the textbooks. But uh, this is uh, my experience. I say when the women is so women are so good, they'll tell you it's like uh, my normal bleeding. It's it's my like menstrual loss or something. They say, no, 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 it's a bright red loss. Okay. Even in that women, such women, we should also find out the history like um, whether she had the history, gynecological history, whether she had any operations, okay? Sometimes you see patients with who had already had a hysterectomy. So once she had a hysterectomy, the two cancers are ruled out. You know, one is the cervical cancer and the uterine cancer ruled out. It's unlikely when there's no uterus. So when then, then your uh, differential diagnosis will come down, actually. And we should also ask her about uh, uh, whether she's sexually active or not, whether she had any history of postvital bleeding. And we should also ask whether she uses any estrogen therapy. If so, for example, a patient with a breast, she must have had a breast cancer and never ever used a estrogen therapy, vaginal estrogen therapy. Then she can have a vaginal dryness, atrophic vaginitis that is can cause bleeding. So again, with the history, how we rule out is, okay, hysterectomy done, okay, cervix uterus. Then what about the vagina? Then you come down, vagina. What are the causes of the vagina? One is it could be atrophic vaginitis or it could be an infection because she has a foreign body. The, the, the ring is a foreign body. She must be having an infection. The third important thing is the rings can actually cause ulcers in the vagina. They can also cause granulation tissue. They rub against the vaginal walls. And already the woman has atrophic uh, vagina and that can cause bleeding as well. So that's how we have to come down uh, without it. Another important thing is you should also ask whether she's on HRT. This question, if she has a uterus, okay, uh, the, the differential diagnosis will be different, okay? Okay, she, then you think about, okay, it could be cervix, it could be uterus or anything. Then even at that age, we should ask about it because HRT has become so much. She may be on a combined continuous patch, which she may not uh, tell us because sometimes these patients are going private and getting these patches. So we should ask whether she's on HRT. HRT or any type of HRT. And also the most other important thing is uh, the anticoagulants. Is this patient an anticoagulants? And that's very common. I see that a lot. You know, these are all the apexiban, rivaroxaban, they may be, and the, this atrophic vagina can cause. And another important thing is if she had a hysterectomy, what was the reason for the hysterectomy? If she already had an endometrial cancer and she had any radiation therapy, so that's how we should differentiate. It could be infections. It could be, you know, like um, anything like past history of uh, radiotherapy or something or a current medication uh, like anticoagulants as well as HRT. And the issue using foreign objects and it could be the heart condition prolapse. Yeah, that's how I analyze it. And once you've gone through all of the history and you found out a bit more about her, um, you obviously need to then think about examination. So what would be your advice about examining this patient? Yeah. Oh, this patient definitely needs examination. Again, as I said, you know, when something, the history is odd, 
we, I always say to my trainees, please don't say go back and come back for an exam. If it's a telephone consultation I'm doing with this lady, I will bring her in the same week. Same week I'll bring her to examine. So that's a little bit, that's a worrying symptom, isn't it? So these are the things in primary care, you know, not postponing examination uh, and uh, taking good history and doing the examination ASAP. Those are the key points where we can we can actually diagnose the cancer. Because by the time the patient comes to you, actually it takes, they, they, they have to have courage to discuss the symptoms. It's already, the, mm -hmm. the time is gone there, isn't it? Yeah. So when she comes to my clinic uh, with this history and all, as I said, I always take this all this history, and then because she already has a, then I'll ask her find Have you ever had any symptoms like this when you used the ring before? Sometimes they say, oh yeah, yeah, the ring was changed. They used a bigger, bigger size ring this time. Okay, that history is important. I will definitely take her and examine her. Uh, the first thing I will do is uh, I'll take out the ring. Uh, because which is a thing because until unless you take out the ring you cannot uh, see properly and uh, one more thing is uh, vaginal cancer is very very rare okay but uh, we have to keep that in mind because with a patient with prolapse there can be some ulcers and gra granulation tissue can be there but very 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 rare to have a vaginal cancer as well so what the key uh, uh, here is when you examine we use a lot of lubricant we use a, a good size speculum and when we examine the put in the specular, when you withdraw the speculum, you have to have a good look at the vaginal walls. Is there anything there? How is the is there atrophic? You can actually, in about 80 to 90% of cases, you can actually see the bleeding area, the the vagina, atrophic vagina, or a, a, a rubbing granulation tissue or something because the pressure caused by the by the ring that is causing the bleeding and so that is what i always say so not to look at the patient not to look at anywhere well just withdrawing the speculum look at the vaginal walls and you will be able to see anything if you don't see anything if she already has a uterus if, if the vagina is okay then you go to the cervix. Look at the cervix. It could be a simple cervical polyp she might be having, which we no one had made a note of it. So it could be even, yes, the cervical polyp was there before or she may have now started bleeding. So you have to have a look at the cervix. Or there could be a growth on the cervix. We don't know. Then uh, you have to gently examine and see whether there's, is the bleeding coming from inside? So speculum examination is very, very important. One is for the vaginal walls and to look at the vagina. Looking at the cervix, is there any other benign conditions or any cancers of the cervix? And the third important thing is the, the size of the, and what, is there any bleeding coming through the os? So that will be a, a suggesting something going on with the endometrium. I think, Uma, um, that's it's really good. I just wonder for GPs who don't have the background in um, being so comfortable with pessaries, I I wouldn't know how particularly to sort of remove them. So okay. in that instance, are we kind of okay to go straight for to do still trying as as hard as we can with the yeah. examination yeah, 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 and, yeah, and looking yeah. at the vaginal walls but um would you say sort of moving straight to a two-week wait there so that they can then examine underneath yeah you're, you're absolutely right yeah especially like uh doing the, the who never had a training for taking out the pessary or something like that you know yeah but, uh, surprisingly most of the gps now are getting trained you know taking at least if they can't even put in a ring they'll be able to take out the things because we are i'm training a lot of gps as well so at least if they can't do that then you know we should have a low threshold we not should yeah yeah even if the even if the 
uh, ring is still there and you can't take out the ring, it's worth just looking at the vaginal walls, which will be, say, then you can at least see the dark blood coming out from the uterus. Will it make any difference? Sometimes it makes a difference. Or in that case, you know, if you can't examine, you can't do a vaginal examination, if you can't remove the things, the best is to do a two-week wait. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think in that case, in your presentation, that was um, a particular patient where you'd found a lesion on the vaginal wall um, and that, that had proved to be a vaginal cancer. Um, but thinking generally, that led me on to a sort of point about HRT, if that's OK. So um, lots of women are on HRT and I know that when you can initiate HRT, you can get some bleeding. But can you talk us through when you'd be concerned about bleeding whilst on HRT? Uh, when we when we see the HRT, uh, we have to really find out, uh, you know, what age she has started the HRT. Okay, that's very, very important. Okay. Uh, if she, and uh, what about her menstrual cycle? Uh, whether she started HRT after her periods have stopped completely. Okay. Uh, because when, uh, because many women are starting early as well, HRT, uh, you know, like a perimenopausal or something. Mm-hmm. So we have to find out the age, her menstrual cycle, and also we have to find out what type of HRT she's on, okay? There are two types of HRT. One is sequential HRT, where it mimics the normal menstrual cycle. So the pack contains estrogen followed by progesterone, okay? It's like it mimics the menstrual cycle, okay? So there are two different color tablets will be the estrogen and progesterone, and some placebo tablets can be there as well. But in continuous combined HRT, each pill has estrogen and progesterone. So when in, when they are on a continuous combined HRT, you normally don't expect the period. But the rule is, when you start initially, there can be some irregular bleeding for the first four to six months. Okay, so uh, you, if you counsel the women, oh yeah, you can have a continuous bleed, you can have a bit of bleeding. But if she's bleeding heavily on that, you ask her to come and see you. Okay, but she has a bit of spotting one here and there, and the bleeding stops. So this woman who is on a continuous combined HRT, she had about irregular spotting on and off, not much. And her GP told her, oh, this is expected. Please don't worry. So she was very happy. And then after four months, her bleeding stopped com- completely. She had stopped. But after six months, she started bleeding heavily. So that is abnormal. Mm-hmm. So then continuous combined. So then what the, you'd be a telephone consultation. You ask her first to stop the HRT, then to come and see you. Okay, that's how it goes. The another point nowadays I'm seeing again is they'll have a myrina coil that was done about six years ago. Okay, and they'll forget about when the myrina coil was induced. And these people are taking estrogen tablets or estrogen. So that is an again unopposed estrogen. So we have to take more history, you know, on HRT, uh, why they're still bleeding. Um, so we've got case number three, if that's okay just to kind of finish off. Um, so that's 47-year-old Alina um, and she's um, concerned and um, has come in to see us because she's had a change in her periods and they've become heavy and prolonged. Um, she's got um, a high BMI at 40 and she does have a history of polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, so is there anything in particular that you'd be thinking at that point um, what would be flagging up as a worry? Yeah, definitely that's a bit worry because normally... Um, Endometrial cancers are actually used to be postmenopausal women. But polycystic ovary, women with polycystic ovaries, they'll have plenty of estrogen, actually. And they, because they don't ovulate regularly, they don't have that uh, progesterone effect. As we know, after ovulation, the ovary releases progesterone and it protects the uterus. In polycystic ovary, they won't have periods for 
year for months and months and then uh, they start uh, uh, bleeding um, uh, for a prolonged period but looking at the age you know that, that this pattern you know not having periods followed by prolonged bleeding we see that a lot of in youngsters you know in women when they in their in their 20s and 30s especially after the age of 40 especially after the age of 40 or or even before if the women is very irregular bleeding and other risk factors like for example high bmi diabetes so there are the risk factors for endometrial cancer and we should also ask i know i know this is a, a something i started recently we should always ask about a family history more and more sometimes we do ask but even we are rushing we may not ask so we ought to put a family history because there is a condition called lynch syndrome where it is it is an autosomal dominant and there could be like a, the family history of stomach cancers uh, in cancers or they can have a colon cancers so that history is very important so for this patient with whom you said i i'll take more history and then Uh, actually i can ask for an urgent scan uh, because some sometimes she could be having a submucous fibroid okay uh, which is causing the problem but it depends upon the where you are the situation that i mean is how how your uh, the local services are if you can get a scan asap you know like one the important thing i want to mention about it is perimenopausal or premenopausal women Uh, the endometrial thickness is not that uh, you cannot uh, rely on the endometrium because the endometrium changes every time so that basically what i'm trying to say is when a woman has menstrual cycles uh, irregular or regular we can't uh, see much uh, we can't give so uh, importance to the endometrium until unless it's very very thick is about like a 20 cm millimeters or so or the ultrasonographer may say it's oh it's looking like a fibroid polyp or something so the importance of endometrium is more in postmenopausal women so it should be less than 4 mm for this woman with that history she needs a scan and she needs an endometrial biopsy but if you're not happy just do a an urgent uh, referral to the gynecologist mm. that's interesting because i was trying to decide for patients like alina who there's enough risk factors there that are making me concerned about cancer um how how to sort of go about it and that's really interesting about the endometrial thickness being slightly unreliable if they're premenopausal so, because the scan might rule other things out but you can't trust that the endometrium is okay is that fair to say yeah you you're absolutely yeah. right that's what i said in the local services if the waiting time is too long and you're not happy with the pattern she's going through yeah uh, always we have a low risk but you have to also look at the um, uh when, when the woman has all the risk factors okay and you're not sure what she needs is because the gold standard nowadays is the hysteroscopy and biopsy isn't it your mm-hmm. scan may not co- contribute to that it distribute it depends you know you have to make a, a decision at that point if she is obese and she has all this factor irregular bleeding obese uh, risk factors are there you should always have a low threshold to send her as as you said as a two week wait to have get everything done asap even if she has a, a she sent for a scan the the gold standard is hysteroscopy the and biopsy so basically what i'm trying to say is this lady needs an urgent biopsy okay? and that biopsy if is done under hysteroscopy is the best way yeah because her pattern is particularly changed so yeah, yeah. concerning the risk factor in her case is uh, 
uh, polycystic ovaries is a one a risk factor is already she has a old polycystic ovary that history is very important so but overall like it depends you know when you ask me can i wait for a patient I, you know sometimes what happens is uh, she uh, the symptoms are not persistent they just started then you have some time to do this you know because it could be a simple subcutaneous fibroid something whatever it is but uh, the situation is you can't get a scan or you can't you're not happy with the history please have a low threshold but always find out more history about risk factors um so obviously we've been through postmenopausal bleeding as a red flag for investigation into different gynecological cancers uh, including endometrial cancer but we thought we'd ask you about different presentations or symptoms that you've seen that would make us concerned about a potential endometrial cancer that might not be as sort of seemingly straightforward in terms of a red flag uh the important thing is you know uh, is when they may not present with the bleeding sometimes you know if you look at the nice guidelines of the cancer of the uh, endometrium it's not just the abnormal bleeding as such you know like uh, sometimes you have to think about uh, there are other symptoms but uh, persistent uh, vaginal discharge okay unexplained symptoms okay she never had any vaginal discharge before so you don't expect uh, so much vaginal of course you examine and you see whether she has atrophic vaginitis or not but the other symptoms are presenting with the uh, hematuria okay uh, this is something you know about few years ago they never thought there was not included in that but now it's more into hematuria and uh, we all look also the thrombocytosis thrombocytosis is very uh, is more is common as we all link thrombocytosis okay suspect cancer and it is much more with the with endometrial cancer as well so if they if already she has a visible hematuria okay so you should also ask her what about your you have any urinary symptoms or you can you should ask for a urine sample and see see then your microscopic hematuria is there so those are the things that also you have to check for um, blood sugars okay so when she has a visible hematuria with the thrombocytosis high blood sugar levels also we have to think about okay is some cancer going on Uh, they say that you have to consider direct access for ultrasound scan with these women with endometrial cancer uh, in the age of 55 and over as per the nice guidelines which is very important so we have to keep that in mind okay right so umo will be going through ovarian cancer and its varied presentations on a different podcast um but for now have you got any resources that you'd like to recommend for people listening about where to get more information Yeah 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 because you know like especially uh, with the cervical cancer i'm sure you know about joe cervical cancer trust they have a lot of information about it and the other thing is the evepil evepil is a, an amazing website actually there's a charity funding it was actually started by one of the young doctors many years ago i think uh, he he found that um, that there's a high risk of women dying with gynecological cancer uh raising awareness in all the five gynecological cancers that you appeal and another um, like cancer research uk gives ex- so much of information about all cancers and they give you the statistics as well of what cancer is going up now the trend is the endometrial cancer is going up and if you see the hpv vaccination as such it has drastically reduced the cervical cancer there's an article in 20, into a, in bmj in 2019 a scottish study where they found there's about 80 to 89% reduction in cin2 and cin3 and about in 75 or 76% 
accident reduction in CIM1. So they definitely there's a reduction. And uh, so we have to, uh, those are the things which are very important. The other thing, um, when women already has uh, cancer, there are the supporting services as well, like Google's. Google's is another website. Well, thank you, Emma. This has been fantastic. Um, a nice little stop tour of, um, and, and I'm sorry to ask you to have done this in such a short period of time, but you've managed to cover quite a lot of things. Um, but what um, are your take-home points, do you think, today? What do you want listeners to remember? Yeah, the take-home, uh, as I'll say, is, you know, uh, any women presenting with irregular periods or irregular things, we have to listen to the history much more. It could be a simple thing, you know, like an ectropion or a polyp, but uh, there is always an underlying, uh, uh, the big C cancer is always there. So history is very important as well, whether she had a smear or not, that is very, very important uh, That with the cervical cancer. So the good history, including family history, this is what I, I, I say that is very important. And um, examination, have a very, very low threshold to do a speculum examination, explaining and making the patient comfortable. You may waste a couple of specula, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. But you, first of all, you have to make the patient comfortable and do a speculum examination. And a simple investigations like a full blood count, you know, because thrombocytosis is very important as well. And uh, and as you said, right from the beginning, uh, yeah, because I'm a GP with special interest, uh, my, my approach may be different. But for a common primary care doctors, you know, when they have suspicion of this is not right as your case like a 47 year old lady with a heavy irregular bleeding please don't hesitate uh, to send them to a tube because the two week wait itself is becoming four weeks nowadays so have a low threshold uh, this so all will help actually for early detection of any of the gynecological cancer so history good examination listening to the patient that's what we all do GPs even and giving time to them to do the examination and referring them appropriately I'm sure uh, it will help uh, to reduce uh, early. It will help definitely go for early diagnosis of gynecological cancers. Oh, thank you so much, Nima. That was absolutely brilliant. So, Lisa, now that it's just us two and we're reflecting on how that chat was, um, what are your learning points from the episode today? Oh, I just think it's it's always so interesting to talk to Uma because she has this, like we said at the beginning, she has such a long history of practicing in this area so she has so many bits and tips and anecdotes and um, lots of advice to give people um I think for me it was just useful to kind of go through all of the different um kind of differentials um in each of those presentations um and I, it also made me reflect that potentially compared to some other presentations there are less um there's less differentials almost in a way and cancer is almost higher up there mm. if that makes sense yeah. um, than some other things that people would come to see you about um, which just means that if anyone's coming in with these problems it probably just needs to be a little bit more of like a red buzzer in your head mm. um, because cancer does seem to be uh, more probable in a way or something whenever we were talking about these um, I don't know what you what you thought yeah definitely um, yeah the cancer you're absolutely right there's a yeah there's a really good reflection um, I totally second it I also think it was really useful to go through the other ways in which they can present other than the kind of classic red flags. And they are in there in the guidelines. It's just that they're not necessarily top of my thinking if somebody presented with hematuria. Um, yeah. it's, it, it can be if it's kind of, is this, you know, from the vagina or from, from the bladder? Um, but when it's a bit more straightforward hematuria or even just a discharge, um, yeah. that might not necessarily be in my top of my thoughts at all. But like you say, it's a narrow list. So... 
it's just it's always there yeah, there's not much yeah um and then also i guess along with that the absolute importance of examination in these yeah. patients um like anyone who's coming in with any of these things needs to be properly examined because you don't really know until you've seen eyes on yeah. really um cervix vagina vulva um is there anything actually there that is worrying to look at yeah absolutely the um, importance of examination can't be overstated um yeah the other thing that occurred to me in terms of learning points was just that experience that Uma's got around navigating quite grey area cases. So the first case we gave her of the uh, Emily who hadn't had a cervical smear in 11 years and then came in with symptoms and we examined and she had um, a mass on her cervix. Um, when we changed the case to say, what if she doesn't have a mass on her cervix, but pretty much everything else is the same. So a abnormal smear at the beginning um worrying signs um that then it's kind of trying to navigate the system in a way that works for us as clinicians if we're worried about somebody um so i thought that was quite interesting as well as the kind of other gray area case where it didn't quite hit the guidelines for a two-week wait for um the last case that we had around the perimenopausal patient who had a high bmi had polycystic ovaries and who also had that pattern of bleeding um, that was very much significantly changed and heavier. Um, navigating that the way she did and sort of using urgent guide um, or two-week waits, even if it doesn't quite hit the guidelines, if we're quite worried about them, I thought that was that was quite interesting to hear. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the other thing that I had written down was what you just said about the risk factors for endometrial cancer. It was just nice to um, review those again because um, they're not quite what you necessarily think of um when you're thinking about endometrial cancer but um the unopposed estrogen anything that's doing that yeah have to think about it fabulous talk thank you so much for staying with us to um share our learning points um we hope you got a lot out of it and um if you did or if you wanted to kind of feed back to us um please remember liking and subscribing apparently helps us lift, lift us in the charts <laughs> um as well as um we love any feedback from our survey so yeah thank you to all till next time on primary care knowledge boost This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2022. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before you make any treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.